80 from verse number 8. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its boughs to the sea, its shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it, and the creatures of the field feed on it. Return to us, O God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down, it is burnt with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. And the second reading can be found on page 1083 from the book of John, chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it may even be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, 
for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's a bit chilly, isn't it? That's why I thought I'd give you a bit of exercise, why you need a pen this morning. Hopefully you've all, you've all got a pen. Whoops, I'll just disconnect the, the technology. And so from then, you've got one of those sheets as you were, as you were coming in. Um, before, before I do that, just let me, just let me give you a, a, couple of, a couple of announcements, because if you see me leaving in about half an hour's time or so, I'm off to St. George's for, for Plough Sunday, just to, just to make another announcement. Parish facility that there is in St. Juan. If you think about it, in terms of its shell and its footprint. This is the best facility in St. Juan. Think about all the different things that actually it is. So let us pray together now as we move on to look at this passage from John 15. So gracious God, we, we thank you for your, for your goodness to us. We just commit once more this whole reordering to you. We commit the process to you. We commit the plan that you have for this building, that you have for us as a church. And we just pray that we would continue to discern and seek your will through it. And so, Lord, as we look at this passage from John 15 now, as King David prayed, show us your ways. Teach us your paths. Guide us in your truth and teach us. For you are God our Saviour. And our hope is in you all day long. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in this season of, of epiphany in the, in the church calendar that means manifestation. That means that something is revealed. And to help us think about what Jesus was revealing in his life, we've been looking at these I am sayings, some of the most famous sayings that Jesus said in, in his gospel. And so this morning, we're going to look at this verse in particular, in verse 5 of chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And to think about that, we've got this sheet of paper that I've called this faithful framework for fruitfulness. And that's what we're, we're going to be completing this morning as we, as we work through. So it's quite simple this morning. If you want to know the structure of where I'm going, you just have to follow the diagrams. And that's, that's what we're going to do. And to begin with, I want to ask you a question. You know, because we live in a world that prioritizes success. So what does success look like as a Christian? How do you define whether you are living your life successfully as a Christian? 
You know, would you, would you say, yes, I live my life successfully as a Christian, or would you say, hmm, I'm not sure about that? How do you define it? How can you say, what is success when it comes to being a Christian? And it's a really good question to ask. Because actually, if we think about it, this whole passage in John 15, in one sense, is all about how to be successful as a Christian. It doesn't use the word success, does it? It uses the word fruitful. So what does it mean to be fruitful as a Christian? What does it mean to be effective as a Christian? And in many ways, it's all about this, isn't it? Jesus says it ten times in, in this passage. If you remain in me. If you remain in me. For the, for the older generation, the word was abide. It's where we get that, that great hymn, abide with me. That's what it means to be, to be fruitful. And so we're going to look and follow this framework through for how we can, each one of us, abide in Jesus. Simple things that we can do in our everyday lives that according to Jesus would say, you and I have been successful Christians. This is why it matters. This is why it matters. Because as far as Jesus is concerned, abiding in him is key to the transformation of the world. If you think about his, his whole life, his whole life was about abiding in God. And all he said to his, his disciples was, if you like, abide in me. Remain in me. Follow me. He actually instructed us and said, this is what you should do. Now, as many of you know, every year I go to an event called the, the Global Leadership Summit. And the Global Leadership Summit is the best church leadership event bar none in the world. It's impact across every continent. Not just in the Western world, but think in the Eastern world, think of in Africa, think all around our world. There is no bigger and there is no better church leadership event going on. So if you want to learn more about leadership from a Christian perspective, it is the best event to go on. And this last year, um, I happened to co-lead it, which meant what I had to do was I had to watch all the videos, because it's done, it's, it's been by video, unless you go live to the event in August. You've got to watch all the videos, because you've got to make sure that you know what's coming next. So I had to watch these, these videos, 13 of them, probably about three times, and then I watched them at the event. The one that impacted me the most, both before and still, four months after, is a talk, and some of you were there, is a talk that was given by Daniel Strickland. If you don't know who Daniel Strickland is, she's a major in the Salvation Army. So she wears a, a kind of Sally Army uniform. Personally, I think she's just about the coolest Salvation Army major I've ever met, or whether it's male or female. So like, she is, she is, she's originally Canadian. She's worked for the Salvation Army all across the world and now works for them in Los Angeles. You might know her in the UK because she's a, she's a famous conference speaker, in particular in the, in the new wine circles. And she's passionate about Bible teaching, but she's also passionate about issues of social justice. 
So she will talk quite a lot about issues like homelessness and issues of human, human trafficking. And this was, this was, it was her particular talk at, at this year's summit that impacted me the most. And she spoke about this, this first diagram that I've adapted a little bit, but it's this first diagram. It's a diagram we're all familiar with, a horizontal axis and a, and a vertical axis. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to write some words on this, on this axis so we can, we can look at it together in this in this first part. And on the horizontal axis, you can see it, you'll be able to see it on the screen as well, just in case you're not quite sure how to spell certain words or you want to check that I've spelt the words right and so on from there. Here's the first word. On that horizontal axis, we write the word humility. And she defined humility like this. Humility is agreeing with God who we are. Humility is agreeing with God who, who we are. And at one end, if you like, of the humility spectrum is this word, insecurity. That's one, one end of the spectrum of humility. And of course, the other end, if we think about it, of the spectrum of humility is, is, is arrogance. Insecurity when we, when we lack confidence, arrogance when we've almost got too, too much confidence and we're full of self-importance or full of, of hubris. And so that's what happens on the humility axis. And what happens is all through our lives, through situations and circumstances, we go along this spectrum. We don't stay static at one place, we, we, we go along. And then, if you like, there's the vertical axis. On the vertical axis is the word dependency. Dependency is defined like this. Agreeing with God who he is. And once more, we don't stay in one place. We go up and down. And at one end of, if you like, dependency is, is what we call codependency. And codependency goes like this. I'm really going to lose weight at the beginning of January. When this thing happens. Or when I've eaten all the rest of my Christmas chocolate first. <laughs> You know what I mean? Or that's how codependency. Codependency is, I'm really going to do this, but it's if this happens first. And that's one end of the dependency spectrum. And of course, the other end of the dependency spectrum is this it's, it's kind of self sufficiency. That actually, I don't need God. I can live my life, thank you very much, and I can just fit everything together and it all fits so neat and tidily into a box and you just live your life without any recognition or any need of God as if, as if, as if God doesn't exist. As, as King David famously said in the Psalms, it's only the fool who says that God doesn't, doesn't exist. There's a lovely story, isn't there, of self-sufficiency. You may have, you may have heard it of, of Muhammad Ali who was who was on a plane once and was about, the plane was about to take off. And the air stewardess noticed that Muhammad Ali hadn't fastened his seatbelt. And so 
She said to Mr. Ali, Mr. Ali, you haven't fastened your seatbelt. The plane can't set off until you've fastened your seatbelt. To which Muhammad Ali said, Superman doesn't need any seatbelt. <laughs> to which the air stewardess quite quickly responded back, but Superman also didn't need any aeroplane either. <laughs> you know, we all at times operate along these spectrums of true dependency and true humility. And of course, the place that is the place which really matters is the place where the two lines cross. Because that's the place where Jesus would say, if you remain in me, you're agreeing with God who you are and you're agreeing with God who he is. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Fruit that will last. This is, if you like, what it means to dwell in, what, in God's place. It is the one place in life where you think about it. It is the one place in life where the devil would not want you to be as a Christian. That would be the place that the devil would not want you to be as a Christian. It is the one place where the powers of this world would not want you to be as a Christian. Because I I don't know about you, but the biggest temptation out there for me, and it's probably the same for you, or maybe if we don't want to use the word temptation, the biggest distraction out there for all of us is the distraction not to meet with God. The distraction not to be in that place where those two lines cross. Because when you're not in that place, hundreds of other temptations and distractions kind of come into our lives. And yet it's the place also where we can often shy away from. It's actually the place, if you think about it, when when one of the biggest things that non-Christians accuse Christians of of being a bunch of hypocrites. Inauthenticity as a Christian will happen when we're not at that place. And so it's the place that we need to be more than any other. This is why, as as we read in verse 2, sometimes God will need to clean us. Sometimes God will need to to prune us. Even when we've been a super Christian before, and maybe we've kind of moved away from that axis, God needs to come and, and prune us to put us back in this place of John 15, 5. And so what we do in this second diagram is kind of think about what are the things that will help us. What are the things that will help us to stay in that place of true dependency and and true humility? What will be the things that will help us to remain in Jesus? You know, this is I was looking back through my journal over the past four months and I've been playing with this particular diagram. Just listening to God during sort of like the Tuesday afternoon or the Thursday mornings when he's kind of speaking to me. And I've been thinking about this, this diagram for about four months now. And I've kind of got it to this way yet. This is where I've got to with it, um, basically, as to, as to what I think. I mean, and so on from here. This is this, this framework that helps us a bit more 
to be faithful and to be fruitful. Of course, it doesn't mean that we'll see all the fruit necessarily in our lifetime. We have to remember that. It's a bit like, in that sense, if we keep the vine analogy going, a bit like a good wine, isn't it? That often it takes years for the results to, to truly come out. It's a bit like how the writer to the Hebrews in the, that great chapter on faith in chapter 11 describes the others in verse 35 and writes this and he says, They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what was promised. And so here are these what I've called three values. If you like, for me, they are the three most important values, bar none, that we need to make sure in our lives to stay remaining in Jesus. Here's, here's the first one. It's about living a life in the presence of the, of the Holy Spirit. You know, if you look at this whole chunk of John's Gospel... This whole chunk of John's Gospel, as a bit of an aside, chapters 13 to 17, Jesus says all of it the very night before he died. It's the bits that he wanted his disciples to, to get into their heads on the night before he died. This was, if you like, the cramming session. This was the last minute things. I must tell them this, I must tell them this, I must tell them this because I'm going to die tomorrow. They're really important words. And he talks right at the end of chapter 14 about how he will send another counsellor, another comforter, the Holy Spirit. He says at the end of chapter 15, if you read on in it, how the Holy Spirit will come, the Spirit of truth. And the oldest prayer of the church is, is come Holy Spirit. That's the oldest church, the, the oldest prayer of the church, come Holy Spirit. And to pray expectantly. And we pray that simple prayer every day expectantly. We will remain in Him. We will remain in that place of where we are. And of course, if we, if we don't follow Jesus, it's not like the Holy Spirit doesn't work in our lives. Because of course He does. But if we, if we do know Him, then it's the place where our faithfulness and our fruitfulness will deepen because of that. Here's the next one. Living a life reflecting upon the Bible. You know, we're three weeks through the year. How are we getting on reading our, reading our Bibles? How many times, maybe, every day this year, as Bill Hybels would say, have we sat in an armchair and read our Bibles for 15 minutes every day? If, if we have and you're, you're following my particular plan, then you're just about at the end of Mark's Gospel by now, and you're just about at the end of Genesis. You're in the great stories of Joseph, and you've read about 10 Psalms. Maybe if you've committed to reading a chapter of the New Testament, then that's where you're at. You're just about through the, through the book of Mark. Or maybe if you're, you're in one of the eight o'clockers have got this Bible reading club, where what they do is, is, and I know one or two of you are members of it here, where you choose a set of readings each week, you're just part of the group, 
and you set the, some readings. You choose some readings completely at random and you email them to a few other people in the church and then they email them their choice the next week and so on from there. How are we doing reading and reflecting in the Bible? Because if we want to remain in Jesus, if we want to hear Jesus' voice, the only way we really know it's Jesus' voice is the degree to which we're reflecting upon, upon the Bible and Scripture in our own life. So if we haven't been doing it, or if we feel like, oh, whoops, I'm a bit behind, then there still are some programs over there, some Bible reading notes that will help in terms of following the Bible through the year. It's one of the best practices we can, we can do. Here's the, here's the third one. And it's the value of love. As Jesus would say two chapters earlier in John 13, a new commandment I give you is that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you, whether you're a follower of me or not, by the way in which you love one another. And then he says it, If you look here, did you notice in this particular passage, not once, not twice, but three times, the relationship between love and obedience. In verse 10, Jesus says, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. In verse 12, he says, This is my command, love each other. In verse 17, he says, This is my command, love each other. But it's a love not that's based on duty, or not that's based upon an, ob- an obligation. Because, because we're not servants. What does Jesus describe us as here? In verse 9. He says. As the Father has loved me. So I have loved you. And I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. This is why we love. We love because of the love that we have received from Jesus. There's no greater love than that. So those three values, every day, think, what am I doing in terms of loving God and loving each other? How am I doing reading the Bible every day? How am I doing praying, come Holy Spirit in my life? And here's three practices, three simple practices every day that if we just follow, will make a difference. Here's the first one. It's the practice of prayer. Philippians writes, the main purpose of prayer is to, is to know God. Justin Welby will say this, every great move of God in the church has begun and been sustained by prayer. Here's for those who, who love the great theological writers. This is for Jonathan Crowther at the next service. The great Karl Barth, he loves it when I put a Karl Barth quote in. This is one that I understand. To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. To clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. You see, when all these people quote these clever things, you see, they write some simple things as well. You've just got to find them. That's the problem. And of course... When the disciples saw the, what Jesus did, when you think about it, what Jesus did, 
They saw how he prayed and they saw how everyone else prayed and they noticed that he was just on a different level. And so they, they kind of said to him, well, how do you pray? And of course, we know exactly what he then said. He said, our Father. And actually, if you don't know, sometimes, oh, I don't know what to pray. Oh, I don't know how to do it. Jesus just gave us that simple model to pray every day. Think about those words and what they mean and you will remain right in that level of true humility and, and true dependency because Jesus' teaching on prayer was very simple, wasn't it? He said three things on prayer, if you think about it. If you read through the Gospels, you could summarize it like this. He said, keep it simple. Don't use big, lofty words. Keep it honest because you can't fool God and, and keep it up. Just keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And as this passage reveals for us, you know, with each of these practices that we'll look at, it's all about we do them in response to what we've already received. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You know, when you think about it, that's one of the most extraordinary promises about prayer in the Bible. About how effective we can be by staying in this place of remaining in Jesus. The first practice is the practice of prayer. Here's the second practice. It's the practice of care. You see, we also care based upon the love that we have received from Jesus. Because then we care out of freedom rather than caring out of guilt or obligation. You see, we care not only because we're good people, but what makes the difference for, for a Christian from every other good person out there is that we're Jesus people. And we live by him. Which means we, we care for the, for the church. As we, as we think through this whole vine analogy of bra branches and so on from there. It's this picture of community. It's this picture of church. It's why you can't be a, a solitary Christian. You can't say, oh I'm a Christian and then not attend a local church. I'll be part of a local church. It's an oxymoron. It just doesn't stack up biblically. We care not just for the church, we, we care for the communities that we live in. We care, if you like, for the world and for those parts in the world in particular that suffer injustice. We care for creation. There are just four things just straight the way off the, off the top of my head that I'm just thinking, right, when it comes to care, what does that look like? The practice of prayer, the practice of care and the practice of, of sharing. And we share once more based upon the love we have received from God. This is so important because uh, everything that we share is in response. That way it's freely given. It's not given out of guilt or, or obligation. When we just think about this, we have all these things that we can share, don't we? We can share our time because God has given us all time. We all get the same amount of time 
every day. But it's not just about our time, it's about our, our energy. It's not just about the quantity of time, it's about the, about the quality of time. To use, a, to use a farming analogy, do we, use, do we bring the first fruits of our time? Or is it the, the scraps, the last bits of, if you like, the day? Then, of course, there's our, there's our talents, isn't there? Because God has given each of us, all of us, some great talents, some great gifts to be, to be able to use. There's, as well as that, there's our, there's our treasures. Because God has given all of us some great gifts, hasn't he, financially? You know, we may not feel it at times, but we're all burdened with the gift of affluence, aren't we? Some of us truly are. But as Jesus also taught, it doesn't matter. It's not just about necessarily how much we give. We also give out of our poverty as well. That was the whole story with the, with the widow who brought the two coins of all she had. And then, of course, there's, there's our faith, isn't there? We all get these opportunities to, to share our faith. And so we have these, these three practices. They're quite simple to remember, aren't they? They must be right because they all rhyme. Prayer, care, share. You don't want to know how long it took me to think of that, but maybe it just, just happened. But as C.S. Lewis once said, every person's spiritual health is exactly proportional to his love for God. And so there's, there's one final word in this framework, which is why you've got the line underneath the triangle. It's the word intentionality. You see, we only abide in Jesus with intentionality. We can't just abide in Jesus without it because the temptation or the distraction to kind of not do God will just be too strong. It's about, if you like, living these practices, putting these things into our lives every day or certainly a number of times every week. If we think, oh, I can just do this once a month, it'll never happen. You never change anything by just saying, oh, I can just do this once a month. It's every day or a number of times a week. You know, the, the final speaker at this year's um, Global Leadership Summit was a guy called John Maxwell. If you know John Maxwell, you know he started out in life as a, as a church pastor in the Southern Baptist tradition. And after that, he then decided that he didn't want to be a pastor anymore because God had a better idea for him. And so he became a, a New York Times best-selling author. And he's now, if you like, like some people would say, he is the number one leader in the world today working in the business world. Some people would describe him as the most influential leadership expert in the world. He advises countless governments and some of the biggest companies in the world that you can, you can, you can think of. And so... He was given, if you like, just tell people one simple thing, the most important thing that you can possibly tell them out of all of your wisdom that you've got. And he talked about this word, intentionality. 
And he said it because what people have is people have, and we know this in our own lives, we don't need, it's just so simple, isn't it? People have uphill hopes and downhill habits. We have uphill hopes and downhill habits. But if you think about it, everything worthwhile is uphill. If you think about it, if it's precious, it's uphill. A great marriage is uphill. A great business is uphill. A great career doesn't just happen, it's uphill. As the farmers keep telling me, a great farm is uphill. And we, 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 we know this. And being, if you like, a successful Christian is, is uphill. To stay in that place of, if you remain in me, and I in you, you will produce much fruit, is uphill all the way. It will require intentionality. And it will require each of us to create the space to say, I'm going to take this time now. Whether it's two minutes before I get up in the morning that I'm going to get up two minutes earlier and I'm just going to roll out of bed and fall on my knees and just say, come, Holy Spirit. Or I'm just going to carve out that 15 minutes to spend my time reading with God. Or I'm going to think about how am I doing in loving the people who I really love? How am I doing in that area? Or how am I doing praying? Where am I going to find that time in my day whether it's, you know what, I've got 15 minutes for a lunch break and so I'm just going to walk around St. Helier and just pray to God. Or where can I do that bit of caring that I need to do? Or how am I doing when it comes to, to sharing? Because each of these things, they all work together. And Jesus says that I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Let us pray together. So come, Holy Spirit. Come and help each one of us. To remain in you. To know what that means for each one of us in our lives. To just practice humility and dependency. help each one of us, each one, live in your presence, reading and being sustained by your word, living a life of love and putting into practice it then in terms of our prayer, in terms of our care and in terms of our sharing. Inspire us, Lord, to be and to remain
rooted in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.